Good afternoon, everyone, or morning or evening, depending on when you're listening to. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to us, the local DMV Business and Leisure podcast. We really appreciate taking the time to tune in and listen. As always, my name is Lisa, your host, digital marketing consulting and podcast consultant here. We have a really awesome show for you you today. But most importantly, first and foremost, you can follow us on local DMV Business and Leisure podcast on Instagram and then local DMV Biz B-I-Z and Leisure on Facebook. I really am excited to have our awesome guest here, Liz Lord, and share a little bit about our who she is and the awesomeness that she's making happen. Um, Liz, could you share a little bit about that, please? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I really appreciate it. I'm excited for our conversation. So I am a, a, a DC native. I was born here and lived in the area as a kid, then moved back here in my 20s and have felt you know an integrated part of the community ever since. And I'm here today in the context of a nonprofit that I founded with the help of their breast cancer survivors, George Washington University Hospital patients. So have been an active member in the community in other respects, both professional and personal. I was a practicing attorney for many years, a realtor here in Northern Virginia, working with Compass. I'm excited to, to talk to you and share with you as much as I can. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you kind of already addressed this, it, our, one of our favorite questions about if you're a native or a newbie to the D.C. area. Could you elaborate to our audience and, and let and give us a little bit more of that backstory about you being a native to the DMV? As I said, I was born here. I was actually born at Sibley Hospital, then lived in Old Town um, as a young child, moved all over the, the, the world, France and Spain and, and Connecticut as a kid. But then in my 20s, felt the call to come back here because I felt like D.C. was this perfect mix of everything every which professional opportunity combined with amazing arts and theater, politics, and just that that perfect kind of amalgamation of, of everything you could want. Living here, mostly in Arlington, although I did go to law school at AU, so I lived in DC for a few years, but mostly living in Arlington over the last 20 plus years, just felt such gratitude for having access to all the resources of this area. Well, thank you so much. I, I imagine that you would have some special gems, places and locations that are special in your heart and in your experience here as uh, someone who's lived in D- the DMV? I do. Um, I, I'm a bit of an art history buff, and I, I like to keep my young kids off their devices as much as possible, though I often lose that battle. I, I really love taking them, the, them to spots that are a little bit off the beaten path. Just in late December, even in the middle of the pandemic, we had an amazing visit to the Hillwood House, which is in Upper Northwest, former home of Marjorie Merriweather Post. So it's a really history-rich place. And then in Georgetown, one of my favorites is the Dumbarton Oaks House, which is just a beautiful little piece of property with an amazing small museum. So those are my two kind of art history-oriented places. And then if you're looking for a spot that's just an amazing place for outdoor hikes, nature, the Arboretum in Southeast is one of my favorites. Been there a couple of times during this pandemic. It's a great place to be outdoors, no matter what the weather. Um, So I highly recommend that place. Well, thank you. Those are awesome um, recommendations. And now they're on my go-to list. (laughs) So that's great. Especially the Arboretum. So great. You're you're doing great things as a global citizen. Had the pleasure of traveling so many different places. Your work is definitely making it safer for women. And also you're helping connect women to medical resources and just really connecting people, their dream home, essentially, as a real estate agent. Did your passion for the law and helping others emerge early? I I think so. I mean, I've always tried to commit my fullest energy to whatever I'm doing in the moment. So for example, when I was in law school, um, I really cared deeply about protecting women and ensuring their safety in the context of domestic violence. So I did a year-long clinic 
in law school and worked on the civil side and then the prosecution side. I, I really got a taste for how important that work is, how vital, whether working on a volunteer basis or on behalf of whatever the local prosecuting body can be to ensuring safety. And then for a, a few years was in the Foreign Service, working as a U.S. diplomat, working on environmental issues. And that's where I became more and more educated about issues of sustainability. And at that time, I had really young kids and every night I'd read them books about wildlife. And it just struck me that during my day job, I was talking in detail about you know, risks of extinction and species endangering. And yet at night, it was all about the beauty and vitality of these species. So back in 2015, I wrote a children's book about octopus who goes on eco adventures, tries to save the world and clean the ocean. It was a self-published book. And I was so, so proud to have it featured uh, NBC's Today Show's sort of holiday guide feature. So I was able to sell quite a number of copies. And then I donated the proceeds to Oceana, which is a nonprofit focused on um, sustainable oceans. You know, my history certainly shows a, an interest in supporting the community and getting active in areas of interest. My most recent passion is one that's been that was born out of experience as a breast cancer patient when diagnosed in 2016 and told I was going to have to have four rounds of uh, taxiterin cytoxin chemotherapy. And I knew that there was a technology out there called cold caps or scalp cooling, but I didn't know much about it. And after my research, I came to the decision that I would try it with the understanding that it doesn't work for everybody, but it has a fairly high success rate in preventing hair loss during chemo. I had my husband helping me. I used manual caps, which was pretty labor intensive. He took four days off of work to help administer those caps while I was doing my chemotherapy infusions at GW. And when I sat there looking around, I realized there were three major gaps surrounding cold caps or scalp cooling. The first was affordability. The second is um, the administration. And the third is accessibility. Literally, as I sat in that infusion chair, it came to me that we needed to found a nonprofit, a nonprofit that would provide financial assistance to DC, Maryland, and Virginia chemo patients who wanted to use that very technology but couldn't afford it because unfortunately, even now, four years later, it's still mostly not covered by health insurance. Still, still expensive, not as expensive as it was, but it can still be as much as $2,000 or $2,500 for a patient to try during this. For many people, that's, that's a big chunk of change. So our goal is to offset that cost. And we do so the order of either $500 of support or $1,000 to offset the cost. Cold Capital Fund was literally just born out of that chemo experience for me, as well as befriending some amazing fellow breast cancer patients right around that time at GW. And all of us talking about what we wanted to do for the community once we were done with our with our battle. So we came out of that strong and healthy, determined to help patients preventing hair loss, which is what we've done now for over three years. Well, thank you. A nonprofit is doing important work and has an important mission. It's making a lot of positive impact. So first and foremost, once again, I want to thank you for what you're doing and all that you're doing because the need is great. Can you share what has contributed to your successful work with a nonprofit coal capital fund? I, I be became friendly with and connected to a number of breast cancer patients in GW at that time in sort of late um, 2016, early 2017. And so I think one of the big contributing factors to our ability to get this organization off the ground and running and be successful and actually help people is the willingness of those fellow patients to get on board and take time out of their lives, their professional and personal lives to support our mission and to support me because I certainly 
certainly couldn't do this alone. They are an absolutely essential ingredient to our success, both in terms of supporting me, but in terms of continuing to spread the word about this technology, taking their time to commit to this effort. So really, to me, it's the people behind our organization. Oh, that's great. You mentioned you were in the foreign service. How has that experience shaped you in terms of your career and your thoughts about the U.S. in the world? I would say I'm probably a people person. You know, I, I, ever since I was a kid, I always loved learning about people, their backgrounds, their cultures, their religions, what makes them. T- and I think to be a successful diplomat, you have to have that natural curiosity in addition to obviously some degree of knowledge about the world and whether it's their history, their culture, religion, geopolitical aspect. For me, being a diplomat was a natural fit. I loved every second of representing the U.S. abroad. Diplomacy is an an essential sort of partner to the U.S.'s military presence across the world and acts as an important sort of offset. You know, it's interesting. I left the Foreign Service some years ago, had many, many connections to my fellow former diplomats, and I have found in my real estate career that there's a natural connection with that community. And so I help a lot of Foreign Service officers when they're buying or selling property. And I know how to do that because I I myself lived overseas. And so for a lot of them, they're doing all of this from abroad. I feel that I have an understanding of their lifestyle and the challenges. I think it's such important work. Enjoyed my time there. That's great. It seems like it's definitely shaped your approach to real estate. As we think about going back to Cold Capital Fund, what can we do as the public to support the mission and the goals of Cold Capital Fund? What can we do? Well, thank you. I think the the most important piece of our work is awareness building. And, And that really relates to just getting word out that this technology exists, that it can be highly effective, that it is increasingly available to patients. You know, just several years ago, the cold capping or scalp cooling machines were not really available at various hospitals in the area. But now most every hospital in DC has it. There's still a few that we'd like to see have it, make it available, but it's becoming more and more available. But nonetheless, I'm always shocked when I talk to folks, you know, at random and they'll mention they have a friend or family member who's going to go through chemotherapy and I'll say, oh, are they aware of cold capping or scalp cooling? And you know, I don't know, five times out of 10, if not more than that, they'll say, no, I've never heard of it. Tell me more. So the first piece is um, awareness building. And then obviously, you know, we are in a 501c3. We rely completely on the kind donations and contributions of donors and supporters. So we absolutely welcome any and all donations via our website, which is coldcapitalfund.org. Or if people are so inclined and they really can get behind our mission and our work, it's been fantastic to see how many people will do Facebook fundraisers where they designate Cold Capital Fund as the recipient of their friend's birthday contributions or whatever the occasion is. So we found that to be really beneficial to our fundraising efforts. That's great. It is great to have someone like yourself who's a passionate, successful person on the podcast. And I want to just say congratulations on your work with a nonprofit. You're helping international professionals and in real estate. And I, I saw that you received some awards such as Top Producer by Arlington, Virginia and a Washingtonian magazine for real estate. So my big question is, how do you balance, you know, all of this awesome magic you're helping happen with the in your leadership in the nonprofit and being an awesome real estate professional and just keeping up with everything. <laughs> I think there that balance the word balance is probably a misnomer. I think of it as kind of a juggle constantly moving from one thing to the other across my day. You know, I have two kids. They're they're not now tiny, but they're still young. I'm a daughter and a and a wife and and a mother. So I I feel like I'm generally just moving throughout the day 
across my various buckets, if you will. So not so sure there's a balance as much as just a juggle. And I, you know, I do try to give my all to everything I'm doing. So there are a lot of long nights, working weekends, and that's okay because I really, really care about business as a realtor and I and I care greatly about our nonprofit work. So you just you just get it done. There are enough there are enough hours in the day. <laughs> that's great to hear. And I think it's unique you being a lawyer and a, a real estate professional. And so that has, you've unique blend of skills and talent and deep knowledge of the local area. So I think many people are curious for your top tips for those looking for a home or condo in the DMV. I'm sure that that's a question on many people's minds who are listening today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think most people who are following the real estate market and I get the sense a lot of people are doing that almost as a pandemic pastime. And you may have seen Saturday Night Live had a skit a few weeks ago about how everybody just spends their time on, I think it was Zillow. So I assume everybody kind of at this moment in this area knows that the market shockingly and surprisingly for a lot of folks is is really active. It's particularly challenging for buyers right now because there's just not enough inventory and there's a lot of demand. My biggest tip is to anybody considering buying in the DMV is to be perseverant. Don't give up. Recognize that this is a process. It'll take time and just keep pushing forward and don't get discouraged if you you know, fall in love with the property and it doesn't work out. And that relates to my second point, which is to, to try to prevent yourself from falling in love. And that's a hard thing. We all want to live in our dream home. But in this, in this area, it's not that easy. Prices are high. There's not a lot to, to choose from. So to the extent a buyer can do this, I recommend staying detached um, and dispassionate. Another tip I have is it's one that is near and dear to me, which is to work with a realtor who truly has your best interests in mind. We as realtors only get compensated if we get to a deal, but a deal should only be pursued if it really is in the best interest of a buyer or a seller. So I always keep that top of mind um, that my interests are at the very, very back burner of any deal. And so I will happily support my clients in pursuing something or staying out of something so long as it's in their best interest. Another thought I had is, you know, in this market, when it's tough to find options is to open your mind to neighborhoods you may not have considered to try to cast your net widely. And then last, it's it's a tough one, but in this market, you need to have a realtor who's really, really serving you and grinding and available and responsive. So if you are working with someone who is not those things, to not be afraid to let them go. You want to find the right relationship with a realtor because they're going to be a very, very vital partner for you in this search. And your search might be, you know, a matter of weeks or it might be a matter of months or years. So it, it could be a very long-term relationship. Those are the things I think are important. I, I also try to serve my clients well in terms of being kind of a thought leader. So I have a blog site, which is arlvahomes, A-R-L-V-A homes.com. Com. I have a bunch of blog entries there that I hope can be useful to, you know, really anybody out there when it comes to aspects of the real estate industry, whether it's picking, you know, how to choose a lender, how to choose a realtor, you know, what matters in a home inspection. So there are blogs there for anybody if they're interested. Well, thank you. I think that those tips were helpful and referring people to the blog is helpful. I think we're all overwhelmed and but but eager to find our dream home. So with that being said, there's always a lot of conversation about the hot housing areas or or the up and coming places. But I think we don't ever really talk much about the up and coming or the ones that are transitioning or those on the bubble. Could you could you share a little bit of that? Because I think it links back to your earlier conversation was keeping an open mind and a wide net. Sometimes you don't know how where to put your wide net at. Could you give us yeah, some yeah, yeah. Up, up and coming neighborhoods, please? 
Yeah, absolutely. So my focus is exclusively on Northern Virginia. So I'll talk about, you know, as we all know, Amazon's building out its HQ2 in Crystal City, Pentagon City area. And we just saw last week, amazing architectural rendering. So I think, you know, that area in a one mile, two mile radius is really going to continue to expand and pop and um, transform. So one of the neighborhoods I'm really excited about, and I, I have been for a while, is the Penrose neighborhood of South Arlington. Lots of cute homes, very residential, walkable to stores, and very, very close to Crystal City and Pentagon City. So I I think that's a great um, neighborhood. The other is totally different, is Lake Barcroft, which is well inside the Beltway, inside um, Falls Church. Um, Literally has an expansive lake that residents can use for canoeing and kayaking. Very well treed. Many of the properties have larger lots. And it it has this sense of being in the country, though you're proximate to absolutely everything within within the Beltway. And then last is a neighborhood that's long been established, but is having a little bit of a renaissance, which is Falls Church City. Right now, there are two major developments going on there. There's Founders Row and Little City Commons. And both are mixed-use developments where they're going to have hotels and retail and restaurants and movie theater. And I think that those um, developments are only going to further enhance the walkability and the sort of urban feeling that is achieved within the Falls Church City sort of corridor there. So those are my three neighborhoods, but I could go on, you know, if, if, um, if when I talk to folks, I, I realize I can always highlight a neighborhood that, I, you know, they hadn't thought about, you know, there, there are lots of little gems. Delray is also one that, you know, is well established, but I think is having a further kind of boost because of the Potomac Yards Metro that's coming in as well as obviously HQ2. So those are, those are my spots. Well, thank, thank you. And I definitely, like I said, when we talked before, you the way you mentioned Church Falls, I hadn't really thought. I always think about work in, in the metro stop there. I never really think about actually living there. So I think you've opened up my eyes and many of our listeners' eyes as places that we should check out. And I like that also it's going to be walkable. I love to walk and run. So the mere fact that it's going to be walkable is, is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of walking and running, because we can sometimes walk and run, maybe get our coffee or tea for today. Uh, what is your first drink in the morning? Is it tea, coffee, water, or nothing? <laughs> so I'm a strange one. I, I don't drink coffee, but I certainly love the smell. I, I make a smoothie every morning. I just gather a whole bunch of fruit, kale, cherry juice, whatever I have, pour, put it into a blender, and I'll have that as sort of my first drink and breakfast. I rationalize that it's good sugar, uh, gives me a little boost. And then I feel like I've, uh, you know, knocked out some of my, my fruit uh, intake for the day. So I'll have a smoothie. And then like you, I will try and do a run or a walk part of my, as part of my daily regime. Because we're always trying to be our best selves in 2021. Is there any smoothie tips you have? The best things to put into a smoothie to make them healthy? You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of raspberries and blackberries and blueberries and mixed with kale. And then also I tend to put like a cherry tart concentrate, which is supposed to be good for reducing inflammation um, and is generally considered pretty healthy. But, you know, literally you could just put anything in there you want. <laughs> but those are some of my top top picks. Oh, I like that, especially the berries. They, the, the doctors seem to like the berries. Are there any new hobbies or interests that you've picked up, you know, during these times when we're you know, a little bit closer to home. Yeah, I, I used to be a member of a gym, probably like lots of people that are listening, and then just became less and less comfortable with being inside in such a small space. I did buy a used treadmill over the summer, and it happened to be an iFit treadmill, which um, has an app um, that allows you to walk, run, whatever, with a, a pre-recorded instructor. So I have found it really, really, it just gives me a lot of joy 
to get on there for 30 minutes a day and be transported to, you know, Paris for a run or Bali for a hike. So I don't know if it's a hobby as much as an activity, but it's um, been really, really nice to just continue with that exercise plan while while experiencing something a little different. So I've, I've enjoyed that for sure. Um, and then we also got like, like many people during this pandemic, we got a puppy. She's given us a lot of joy and changed our routines pretty significant degree in terms of, you know, walking, getting outside and, um, and hanging out with her. So I know everyone is, is curious as am I, what is the puppy's name and what kind of puppy is it? We have to ask. Oh, <laughs> she, she's a Cavalier King Charles and her name is Sparkles because she was born on the 4th of July. So she sparkles. Oh, and, and those are the ones that are a little bit shorter, correct? And they kind of that uh, brown, beige, white. Exactly. Color. Yeah, they, they come in, in tricolor, which is brown, black, and white, or kind of red and white. And they're just the sweetest little dogs. So um, she's given us a lot of a lot of affection and a lot of love. So we're we're happy. And, and you want me over with the name Sparkle? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like the I like the it gets, it gets a good, it gets a good reaction from most people. So that's been fun. Yeah, people, you can't. If the name Sparkle doesn't make you smile, I don't know. Could you tell us about some of the awesome projects you have going on in 2021? I think first and foremost, you're you're a mom and a mom of a puppy, so you're going to be kind of busy with those two. But besides, yeah, besides exactly. the mom, mom, the mom stuff. <laughs> in addition to the momming, is is really for me, it's a continued focus on building out my real estate business. I was with Keller Williams for just about five years and then switched over to Compass Real Estate at the end of 2020. And so I'm super excited about all the technological um, platforms and innovations that are um, underway at Compass. So my goal in no small part is to continue to take advantage of that in order to better serve my clients. And then of course, continuing to support and build cold capital funds such that we can reach as many patients in the DMV as possible. I was looking this morning at sort of our data for the organization. And since the beginning of 2018, we've received over 200 applications from patients in the area and have paid out over $40,000 in assistance. So I'm super proud of that. And I think we can continue to do that and more in 2021. So long as we, you know, continue to get the great support from donations and, and, and supporters. That's great. Where can we follow uh, Co-Capital Fund? and or you to keep up abreast of all the exciting things going on? Well, we have our website, which is coldcapitalfund.org. We also have a Facebook page, which is Cold Capital Fund. So those are our two main platforms. And then on the real estate front, absolutely would love to help anybody who's interested in buying or selling in the um, Northern Virginia area. And you can go to my um, website, which is arlvahomes.com or contact me directly. All right. Well, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for everything you're doing um, with regard to breast cancer and, and, and the cold cap fund. And then also just in terms of helping those of us, those who are serving in other parts of the world by representing America, but as a transition home, those are just very important things and, and just work to be done that you're doing. So thank you. Well, I, I so appreciate the chance to come on here and talk value what you're doing in terms of supporting women and, and the community. Yeah, yeah. So, so most importantly, reach out to Liz if you want to get a great home in the DMV, and then also just be patient. Um, as it seems, is that patience and new home in the DMV kind of go together? Correct. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, on that note, I want to thank you. Thank everybody for tuning in. And most importantly, you can follow us at the local DMV Business and Leisure Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook, local DMV BIZ and Leisure on Facebook. So once again, thank you everybody. Um, have a great week, and talk to you soon.